0: This week on Coach and Cole, we are joined by Bleacher Report's Gary Davenport to break down the NFL draft. Yeah, the
1: the Bears, I don't know if you guys know, they made the steal of the draft by uh, going one pick up. No one saw that one coming.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we'll talk about that, I'm sure. And we're also going to discuss if Eli Manning is a liar and the whole entire helmet memorabilia scandal. I'm pretty sure he's a liar. Uh, We're also talking NBA playoffs. Don't forget about those. Yeah, they're in full swing. We're moving on to another round there in the NBA. And in the second hour, we're talking Blues Predators and all of the NHL Round 2 series with Dan Buffa of, of SB Nation. And we'll talk about ESPN's mass layoff and what that means for the sports media industry. All that and more. This week on Coach and Cole Here we go Side of the Mississippi live on Blog Talk Radio. We are brought to you by ForwardMile.com, your new home for sports news and opinions on the World Wide Web. And of course, I cannot forget the co host of the show, Cole Fouts. How are you doing today, Cole?
1: Hey, oh, I'm doing pretty well. Uh, It's a little too early for my liking, but
0: eh. hey, you know what? That's all right. We had to uh, change some things up this week, move us an hour earlier on the time slot hopefully you are up early making your eggs and bacon and listening to us live on blog talk radio cole you know you're just gonna have to suck it up today and just go with the flow you know i mean if you got one eye open you know one eye open that's all right we're just gonna have to my good eye we're gonna have to do it you know you just got to buck up and do it sometimes and and uh, i think our listeners appreciate you you sacrificing an hour of sleep this morning
1: Thank you, and I appreciate it, listeners. Also, you're welcome.
0: (laughs) Thank you. You're welcome. Any other please and thank yous, uh, go ahead and send them our way. All right. (laughs) We've we've got ourselves a five-star show, Cole, because our listeners have rated us that on iTunes. Speaking of iTunes, remember, you can catch us on demand on iTunes and on TuneIn after our live broadcast. Please subscribe to us on whichever format you listen to us here on Blog Talk Radio. So, Cole, we're through the first three rounds of the NFL draft. Rounds yep. four through seven are going to be completed this afternoon. And in order to talk about the draft this week, we wanted to make sure we went out and got one of the best guys for the job. And so that's what we did. This week, our Blog Talk Radio guest of the week is Gary Davenport of BleacherReport.com. How you doing, Gary?
2: Oh, doing pretty well. Although I you know, for truth in advertising and all that, I think you should probably tell the listeners that you tried to get the best guy for the job and he was unavailable, so you got me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, no, that's not the case at all. You were top of the list and, and we're glad you could join us here, Gary.
2: Oh, my pleasure.
0: Awesome. Well let's let's dive right into this thing and the NFL draft this year, a lot of experts called this one of the deepest draft classes in the last decade. And I want to start right at the top in round one. We've got Miles Garrett going off the board, no surprise to Cleveland. But the surprises started to fly in after that, as we mentioned at the top of the show, Chicago trades up to move to number two, move one spot up. They give up some picks to take quarterback Mitch Trubisky. Gary, what are your thoughts on that move? And in your mind, is this going to be a mistake for the Bears?
2: You know, I think what we saw is what we've seen, you know, the two years preceding when quarterbacks went one and two, especially in 2016 when the quarterbacks who went number one and number two weren't exactly world beaters. It's just teams that don't have that quote-unquote franchise quarterback in the NFL are in a constant state of panic about getting that quote-unquote franchise quarterback in the NFL. So they are willing – to take risks, to go out on the proverbial limb. I'm not a huge Trubisky guy. He wasn't my top quarterback in this year's class. I know a lot of Bears fans are apoplectic about what they gave up to move up and get Trubisky. I don't necessarily hate the deal any more than I hate, you know, the Kansas City Chiefs mortgaging an extra first-round pick to get Patrick Mahomes. Or the – Houston, Texas, doing the same thing to get Deshaun Watson. It's just a function of the state of the NFL now at the quarterback position, and this wasn't really a draft class where there was a slam dunk at the quarterback position.
0: I I do think it's a
2: little curious. I think it's similar kind of to what the Eagles did last year. You know, we saw them sign Sam Bradford, hand him a bunch of money, and then a couple months later they move up in the drafts, And acquire uh, Carson Wentz. Now, maybe the Bears—you know—you never know. Two months from now, the Bears could have a situation come up where a team becomes desperate and they're willing to take Mike Glennon off their hands, and it doesn't look quite so puzzling. But I just—I don't know that Trubisky's any better than Glennon. Is my biggest concern.
1: Hey Gary, have you heard? Did you hear anything about any other teams trying to move up? Because it seems like the 49ers weren't going to pick Trubisky. And I'm just assuming uh, that the 49ers told the Bears, like, hey, other teams are looking to trade up. If you want this, you're going to have to you know, like make a bigger package. Because, I mean, moving one up just for four picks, it just seems a little weird that they would move all that just for one pick, unless somebody else was looking to trade up for Trubisky. That's kind of been the $64 question ever
2: since this trade went down. There have been writers. I know some of my colleagues at Bleacher Report have been contacting their people trying to find out for sure if there were some teams that wanted to move up. I know some writers have said they haven't been able to. I know there was a report on ESPN last night where a gentleman, he didn't name the teams, but he said there were two teams who had talked to San Francisco and made an offer for that number two pick. So, honestly, gotcha. I can't tell you with certainty that there was a team that the Bears, that was going to leapfrog the Bears and take Trubisky. I can't tell you for sure that there wasn't and that John Lynch didn't just tell Ryan Pace, well, you know, guys, we've had a couple calls on that pick. So, you know, I don't know right. who, the, who those teams want, but if you want him, you might have to move. It's, you know, it's your typical draft chicanery. It it certainly looks to be a good first couple days for John Lynch in his first NFL draft as a general manager, at least until that last pick last night, the Iowa quarterback. I'm not quite sure what they were thinking there. But, you know, the Bears wanted their guy and they went and got him. I'm normally, even in a draft where I don't necessarily like a lot of the quarterbacks, I have a hard time following a team too much for going and getting the quarterback that they want, if only because it's just such an important position in the national football league. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a quarterback driven league. We we've seen that for many, many, many years. And there's no doubt that Chicago saw their guy and, and, and went and got him. Um, let's talk about running back here. First running back off the board at number four is Leonard Fournette. He goes to Jacksonville. How does Fournette fit in Jacksonville, Gary? And was he the best running back in the class?
2: Yeah, I hope that T.J. Elton and Chris Ivory were renting in Jacksonville because he he's <laughs> their lead back and a guy who's going to take most of their work away from. I felt a little bit better about the Fournette acquisition after the Jaguars were also able to acquire Cam Robinson to tackle out of Alabama last night. Yes. yes. <clears throat> you know, I think a big part of his success is going to be And a big part of the reason why Yeldon and Ivory struggled at times was just the Jacksonville offensive line has struggled for quite some time, so they need to fix that. You know, I think from an every-down classic bell cow workhorse running back perspective, Fournette was probably the guy in this year's class. I know there are some things that Christian McCaffrey does a little bit better I, I I expect Fournette to be. I mean, we can't expect Fournette to go out and run for sixteen hundred plus yards like Ezekiel Elliott did last year. I mean, Elliott set that rookie running back bar pretty high, but I do expect that Fournette, you know, has will have every chance to be a 1, thousand twelve hundred yard back as a rookie.
0: Yeah, and you know, you talk about Ezekiel Elliott. I mean, I'm not taking anything away from the Cowboys running back, but. I mean, let's be real. They've got the greatest offensive line in football, and they have for quite a few years. So, um, you know, it's not like Fournette's going to be in the same situation there in Jacksonville, and adding the tackle last night does help him, like you said. So I have to agree with you there. I think Fournette was probably the best guy on the board for them at that time. Um, Right after Fournette goes number five, Corey Davis, a little bit of a surprise for a lot of people from Western Michigan, goes off the board to the Tennessee Titans, giving Marcus Mariota a new weapon to play with there. The last wide receiver we saw taken early from Western Michigan was Greg Jennings. Is Corey Davis going to top Greg Jennings there as far as a Western Michigan receiver goes? And is Corey Davis the real deal? Because a lot of people are wondering. Yeah,
2: I like Davis coming into the draft. He was my number one wide receiver. I know that his stock had taken a little bit of a hit in the eyes of a lot of people because he wasn't able to work out in the pre-draft workouts. You know, he wasn't able to run at the combine, wasn't able to run at the pro day, and heaven forbid we not have an up-to-date 40-time on a guy. But <laughs>
3: exactly. you, you, look at the tape,
2: you look at the tape, you see a big-bodied receiver who can create separation, who's a red zone threat, good route runner. I mean, he's, in theory, everything you want in a wide receiver. I was surprised to see him go in the top five. I was surprised to see three wide receivers go in the top ten. I think as much as people talk about the Trubisky trade, those three receivers going that high may have been the biggest stunner to me of the first round of the draft. I wonder if the Titans, when the Titans first made the pick, the thought I had to myself was they're doing this backwards because the Titans went into the draft with two main holes that everyone expected them to address, wide receiver and cornerback. And I think the prevailing wisdom was they were going to get that cornerback first, You know, maybe look at a Marshawn Lattimore out of Ohio State, and then they would come back with that second first-round pick. And I think most people expected one of those top three receivers, Mike Williams, Corey Davis, and John Ross, to still be there for them with that second pick. So it might not have been backwards after all, given the way the rest of the draft played out. Or you could say that the Titans kind of started that run on receivers by taking Davis a lot higher than some people expected. So they got the right. guy they want. Once again, even if you think Corey Davis went seven or eight picks too high, it's awfully hard to fault the team for saying, okay, that's the guy we want. He's the top player on our board at a position of needs that we're going to go get.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and that's, and that's the thing these teams are trying to do. If they, if their guy is number one on their big board, they're going to go out and get him and try to get him any way they can. Um, you mentioned Christian McCaffrey here a little bit ago. He goes to Carolina. He's got the All-American pedigree. He's a remarkable athlete. There's still some question marks here. Is he, NFL, is he an NFL-ready guy to you, and is he going to explode on the scene there in, in Carolina because there's some mixed opinions on this guy?
2: I think the key with McCaffrey, and you could say a lot of the same things about the guy that the Panthers turned around and took in the second round of the draft in Curtis Samuel out of
1: Ohio State,
2: right. is going to be using an offensive coordinator who can find ways to use them correctly. You, you know, you're know, you not going to want to just hand off to Christian McCaffrey 15 times a game. You want to get him the ball in space. You want to you know, split him out wide, get him the ball out of the backfield, create mismatches against slower linebackers and safeties. And I think if they do that, yeah, Christian McCaffrey can have plenty of success. I think his ability to run the ball between the tackles is a little underrated. I mean, the kid averaged, I think, 6.3 yards a carry at Stanford last year, and this is a kid who had 300-plus touches. So I'm guessing he ran the ball between the tackles a few times. I just I wonder, especially after the Samuel pick, you know, it's two guys with kind of similar skill sets, and it's going to be interesting yeah. to see. How they try to get those guys on the field at the same time, or whether it's just going to be a matter of Samuel eating in McCaffrey's touches a little bit, which could hurt his
0: production? yeah, it would, and you know they announce McCaffrey as a wide receiver when he's taken, so I mean, do you think that Carolina has some some ambition to play him at receiver? And Well, that's what everyone expected
2: Samuel to do, too. That's why the Samuel pick was really curious for me. I, right. You know, my like, okay, you draft that guy, and then you draft that guy again in round two. And, you know, plus they still have Jonathan Stewart in Carolina. So, I guess the Panthers, the, only, the way I look at it, I think their offense has become awfully predictable. I mean, you, got, you yeah. hand the ball to Jonathan Stewart, you throw the ball over the middle to Greg Olson, you throw the ball deep to Ted Ginn and hope to God he catches it. It's, you target Kellen Benjamin three times, twice he makes a catch once he drives it. <laughs> and last year it caught up to him somewhat. So I, I think they went with those versatile weapons in a way to kind of make the offense unpredictable. But it's, it's going to be very interesting as we move into training camp and the preseason and even, say, the month of September when we finally get a look at what the Panthers really want to do offensively to see how they're going to use those guys, because they just invested a lot of draft
0: capital in those first running backs. Yes, they did. And and Cam Newton's got some new weapons there in in Carolina, right after McCaffrey goes off the board. And and we talked about Davis going at five. And then we've got John Ross, the speedster. And and to me, Gary Ross reminds me a little bit of a Darius Hayward Bay type guy, (laughs) Um, you know, a lot of speed, all the speed in the world, shoots up the big boards after amazing 40 time. And, and of course, Hayward Bay never really amounted to much in the NFL. Is, is that kind of what you see for Ross here? Or, or do you think there's a silver lining here, and Ross is, is going to turn out to be a great pickup for the Bengals? To his credit, John
2: Ross has one ability that Darius Hayward Bay struggled with, and that Rashad Perriman, who was a first-round pick, of the Baltimore Ravens in 2016 also didn't have some, I mean, Perriman and Hayward Bay run like a deer, but they also catch like a deer, you know, like they have both <laughs> <Yep. laughs> And John Ross has got good hands. You know, Ross has good hands and he can run decent routes and he's not just a speed guy. I mean, he's a guy who can do some damage underneath and stuff. My biggest question with him was more about durability than anything. Given the ACL tear in 2015, I think he have a shoulder problem as well. He's not a really big guy, so you wonder about his ability to separate with press coverage. I mean, if he does pan out, you look at him lining up opposite A.J. Green in Cincinnati, you've got a couple of wide receivers who will be very adept at stretching the field. I mean, it could open up all kinds of stuff underneath. Yeah, no doubt. Like the Tyler Eifert and Tyler Boyd, Brandon LaFell, You know, Gio Bernard or Joe Mixon catching the ball out of the backfield because the back of that secondary is going to be scared to death of A.J. Green and John Ross. I was a little surprised by the pick and that it wasn't really an area of need that jumped out at me for the Cincinnati Bengals. But by all indications, I mean, Mike Brown, that was the guy the Bengals wanted, and they were willing to invest the top ten pick in him. So we'll see how it goes. The Bengals certainly weren't shy with their first couple picks of the 2000, 2017 draft, they were not risk averse at all.
0: No, no, they weren't. And 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 again, another team getting their guy. Uh, two other two quarterbacks that go: Mahomes and Watson. They go ten and twelve. Mahomes looks to be the heir apparent for Alex Smith. Watson's going to be thrust into the fire there in Houston, most likely. Which of these guys do you really like better coming out here? And is Watson a guy that can lead Houston back to the playoffs?
2: You know, I'm a bit more of a Watson guy, if only because he was able to accomplish something that Mahomes and Trubisky and a lot of the other quarterbacks that were coming out this year. He won, consistently won football games, and occasionally put his team on his back to do it. I mean, you look at what he was able to do leading that last-second comeback against Alabama in the national championship game this past year. That's a quarterback. Now, granted, he might not have the best arm in the class, and he might not have the prototypical size that some of these guys do. But Watson was my guy. I will confess, as a Cleveland Browns fan, I was a little disappointed when that 12th pick rolled around. The Browns had already taken Miles Garrett after I was terrified they were going to take Trubisky first overall. So I'm feeling (laughs) pretty good. Yeah, exactly. I'm feeling pretty good. We get that 12 pick, Deshaun Watson's still there. I'm like, come on, guys, just take Deshaun Watson. And then, obviously, as soon as I saw the trade, I knew what Houston wanted to do. I mean, of all the rookie signal callers this year, you would think Watson is probably going to be under the most pressure. I know Bill O'Brien came out and said Tom Savage is our quarterback, to which I said, yeah, we'll see how long that lasts. <laughs> Watson is the guy who jumps out at you as the one that's probably going to make 2000 starts in 2017 for a team that has aspirations of a deep playoff run. Now he's got the weapons at his disposal. They've got a good run game with Lamar Miller. Just added another tailback on day two of the draft. You know you've got uh, DeAndre Hopkins a wide receiver. You've got a decent offensive line. One of the best defenses in football. But Bill O'Brien's offense is very complicated, and that's going to be a steep learning curve for Watson coming out of Clemson. So it's going to be interesting to see how quickly he picks that up. We've seen Andy Reid have success with quarterbacks who were a bit of a quote-unquote project. You know, He was able to turn Donovan now from a great athlete into a great quarterback.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Will he be able to do that with Mahomes again? I don't know. The history of air raid quarterbacks in the NFL is not good. I mean, the biggest success story is probably Nick Foles, and that's not exactly what I would call a success story, right? And I and I gotta wonder what the dynamics gonna be like between Mahomes and Alex Smith. I mean, I know Smith will say all the right things; he's a pro. But I mean, would you want to take a kid on quote unquote under your wing who you know is there to take your job a year from now? yeah, yeah probably it's,
0: not. It's, no, not no, you know, and that's the whole dynamic. I mean, we've seen that before, you know, where where Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers, they everyone knows they really didn't get along, so you know, like you mentioned there we'll have to see how Smith and Mahomes get along there and how they coexist in Kansas City.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, that was, a, I, go ahead. Go ahead. All right, I,
2: I was go. just gonna say it um, was it was interesting yeah. for me to see the Chiefs move up into the top ten to get that quarterback. And I just, poor Alex Smith, man. I mean, everyone, every time the Chiefs fall short in the playoffs, it's Alex Smith's fault. And I just, I think he's underrated as a quarterback. I don't know that the Chiefs are going to look back on this decision three years from now and feel great about it.
1: With Mahomes, I actually have a couple, well, a question for each of these quarterbacks. With Mahomes, I don't know if I just wasn't paying close enough attention, but it seemed like after the, College football season, he wasn't that high up on draft boards on, on mock drafts or wherever draft info you could find, and then he just kind of shot up during the the workouts and everything. And just it, I just feel like that's weird for a player. You have that much tape on him, and then I guess through interviews, you know, you can find out more about him. But just to shoot up the board to number ten of all places from probably not being in the first round a lot of mock drafts and then going all the way up to ten. I just I'm just kinda question on that.
2: I think it was a combination of interviews of teams trying to talk themselves into liking a quarterback because he's a quarterback. Yeah. And then when you get a guy like Mahomes to a workout, whether it's at the Combine, at the pro day, you bring him in for a workout You can ask him to make make throws there. Now, granted, it's going to be in shorts and shells instead of with guys in your face. But you can ask him to make throws that air raid quarterbacks just aren't asked to make. I mean, air raid offense is all about quick throws. There's not a lot of multiple reads that you're going to have to make so you're not looking off two or three guys and then throwing the ball, throwing a 35-yard out pack. It's just not something that's done a lot with that offense. So that's the knock a lot on raid quarterbacks is that we really don't know whether they're capable of making all the throws. And I think Mahomes impressed enough in those workouts that he was able to work his way into that conversation of who really is the best quarterback prospect in this year's draft. And I just don't really know there's an easy answer to that question. There just wasn't a guy this year who didn't have one big question mark looming over his head. I mean, with Trubisky, right. it was the fact that he only started 13 games and didn't necessarily perform that great in those 13 games. I mean, he's 8-5 and five as a starter for the Tar Heels. You know, you got Watson doesn't really have the size. His accuracy can be an issue at times, and Clemson offense doesn't really translate well to the NFL. With Mahomes, you've got the air raid and was his production artificially inflated. With Kaiser, you've got a can of an arm, but whether or not he could hit the broadside of a barn is flip a coin. And and you can can go right on down the list through every quarterback that's been drafted in the first two days, and there's going to be that big question mark. So I almost feel like the teams that did the smart move so far at the quarterback position – or a team like the Cleveland Browns that drafted Sean Kaiser in round two, or a team like the New York Giants that drafted Davis Webb out of Cal later in round three, who was another guy that was kind of rising up draft boards and there was talk before the draft that he might even sneak into the back part of the first round. You know, you're still taking a chance, but you're not burning as much draft capital to do it. You're not – Right, burning the number two overall pick and the handful of picks that you spent to move up into that spot or burning essentially two first-rounders like the Kansas City Chiefs and the Houston Texans did. So... I uh, Obviously, if one of these guys, whichever one of these guys, turns out to be a decent NFL starter, assuming at least one does, that's going to be the one that's going to make their front office look good. But right now, to me, it's, it's the teams that played it a little safe with the position, especially given that from all indications, the class of
1: 2018,
2: a quarterback, is quite a bit better than this year's was. Yep,
1: it looks
0: to be. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It'll be interesting to see, you know, which one of these guys turns out the best. Uh, A a lot of fans down there in Tampa Bay are really excited about their first round pick tight end OJ Howard out of Alabama. Adding him with Brate Evans and now Deshaun Jackson. Gary, in your mind, is Tampa Bay pretty close to an elite offense at this point? I'll tell you what, if you
2: play fantasy football this summer, Jameis Winston's stock is going to be going
0: bang-pow-zoom
2: right through the roof. <laughs> Absolutely. They did not just add O.J. Howard and Deshaun Jett. They also came back on day two and got Chris Godwin, a little wide re- an underrated wide receiver, in my opinion, out of Penn State, who when they made the pick, I thought Godwin had gotten picked while I was grabbing some nachos or something. I would have figured he'd been <laughs> off the board by then. So, I mean – Obviously the offensive line is going to have to give Winston some time and I still think he's occasionally going to make that throw that kind of leaves you wondering what were you thinking, Jameis? And I wouldn't be at all surprised if relatively early in day three because there's still a fair amount of running back talent left on the board. This was a very deep class in the backfield. If maybe the Buccaneers get a little insurance there because the Doug Martin situation is still very much in flux. But the Pieces are there. As we move into summer, the Buccaneers are going to be a trendy pick in a lot of circles to be that team that takes the quote-unquote next step in 2017. I know a lot of people are talking about the Titans, too. I'm looking at Tampa Bay. I know the Atlanta Falcons were the NFC champions last year, but still, that team just doesn't scare me much. And I wonder how they're going to get over the loss of Kyle Shanahan. And the, just the heartbreak of what happened in Super Bowl 51. I mean, you talk about a Super Bowl hangover. The Atlanta Falcons are redefining that concept this year. Yeah. So um, the NFC South, Yeah, I think the Panthers are going to be a much better team this year. I think the Buccaneers are going to take – I do – I think they'll take that next step. I think they have a, de- a puncher's chance at ten, eleven 11 wins. So it's not going to be as easy for the Falcons this year. I would lump the Saints into that conversation, but they need defensive help just terribly. And the, Lattimore was a great pick for them at 11, but then they started adding offensive players. I mean, last night they're drafting a running back after signing Adrian Peterson with Mark Ingram in the house, and they're a team that throws the ball just about as much as any team in the NFL. So I'm not entirely sure what Mickey Loomis is up to in the offense.
0: Yeah, yeah, I hear you, you know, and, and we've seen it in the past. Teams go, get to the Super Bowl, the heartbreak of losing it the next year, you know, they're just not the same team. So it'll be interesting to see if Atlanta can, you know, can overcome that because we've seen it before. We we go to the end of the first round and San Francisco, John Lynch has a, has a, a wonderful day one and he ends up getting – a top-ten pick in many people's minds before the whole incident at the Combine in Reuben Foster from Alabama. I mean, this guy really dug his own grave and dropped his stock. Gary, where do you think Foster should have gone? Is he a top-ten guy, and did the San Francisco 49ers just get an absolute steal here in the first round? Yeah, he may have gone a little bit
2: later than I would have taken him. If I were the Oakland Raiders sitting there at, I think, 24, they need linebacker help. I mean, they needed secondary help, too, so I'm not necessarily criticizing the Gary on Connolly pick. But if I'm picking it up for Oakland at 24, when, right around that spot is when I was surprised that Detroit passed on Foster for Jared Davis. And that's when I knew, honestly, that it was It was more even than the combine dust stuff and the diluted sample. I'm guessing something came back on the medical rechecks on his shoulder because he just recently had shoulder surgery. Now there are reports that some teams believe he's going to have to have a second surgery, and that raises the specter of him being one of those Alabama guys who's already got 50,000 miles on his tires before he ever gets into the National Football League. I think that's similarly why we saw Jonathan Allen drop in round one all the way to, I think it was Washington, got him at 17. If Foster can stay healthy, all the talent in the world, I mean, he's going to be able to learn in San Francisco from one of the best inside linebackers in football, in Navarro Bowman. You put him and Bowman together, it's uh, a Patrick Willis-Bowman type of combination. I'm going to be interested to see what they plan to do with Foster, assuming that Bowman is healthy and ready to go for week one, and he was a full participant in the first set of voluntary workouts that the 49ers just had. If only because San Francisco switching defensive schemes this year, they're not going to run the 3-4 in 2017. Right. They're going to switch to a 4-3 under front, it's kind of similar to what the Seahawks did. And they signed Malcolm Smith in free agency, who I figure would probably be the weak side guy. So that leaves the question of if you put Bowman in the middle, which, once again, I'm assuming, You're going to put Foster on the strong side, and which one of those guys is going to be coming off the field in sub-packages. So I'm going to be watching that San Francisco defense very carefully as we move into training camp. But from a value standpoint, I don't fault John Lynch one little bit for trading the tiny little bit of draft capital that he did to move up into that spot. And if he can stay healthy, uh, that's going to be one of the picks we'll look back on three, four years from now and say that was one of the steals around him.
0: Yeah, absolutely. If he can keep his nose out of trouble and stay healthy, I think Ruben Foster is going to be a big help for San Francisco. Um, day two here, round two, Green Bay trades out of the first round with your Cleveland Browns to 33, and they draft Kevin King, a 6'3", 210-pounder, who's quicker than a hiccup and, and hits like a sledgehammer from what I've seen on his tape. What do you think of this pick for Green Bay?
2: Oh, I like the pick, and it's certainly an uh, area. Green Bay was hit the secondary – hot and heavy yesterday, and they needed to. I mean, they have other problems. I was a little surprised in that pick, for instance, that they didn't go with Forrest Lamp, the young guard out of Western Kentucky, who I think is just going to – that kid's got Pro Bowl word written on him. But I can understand why, given that just before the draft the Packers were able to sign Jari Evans, who's – I think he's 34 now. Jarry Evans' best days are behind him, but he's still a capable – Veteran lineman who has been very durable in his career. So, I don't know that the age you have to really worry about him being a guy that's going to get hurt. I think he's 16 games for the Saints last year. Outside Good. of that offensive line and maybe adding some pass rush help, that was the big deal for Green Bay. Is that their secondary, one, has had a tendency to get banged up a lot in recent years. And two, they've had some young guys who just haven't played up to their draft slot. So, I like the king pick. I like the safety they were able to get, whose name is presently escaping me. A little bit later on day two, I think he's a Marcus Williams. I think it might be the versatile kid who I think is they're probably eyeing as a replacement for Morgan Burnett in 2018 when Burnett would be a free agent because you know Ted Thompson is not going to pay people. So, right? <laughs> it was. It's been a good. It's been a good draft for the Packers. You know, it's typical Ted Thompson. We're seeing, and we see it every year. The successful front offices, no matter where they're picking or what they decide to do, they still manage to come out of it with value. I mean, what the Patriots were able to do yesterday made me nauseous. I thought we had trade back, trade back, trade back. Hey, we'll trade back one more time, and then get Derek Rivers, who I think is one of the most physically gifted edge rushers in this draft. And he's a little raw. Played at Youngstown State, so he didn't see the best level of competition, but the talent is there, and to be able to get him in the third round, turn around and get Antonio Garcia, young tackles from Troy. I mean, both those guys had grades from most draft, quote-unquote, experts that were probably around higher than where the Patriots were ever to get them. So it's just a matter of the rich getting richer, because as we all know, the Patriots desperately need players. They've got holes everywhere.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, uh, uh, Josh Jones was the safety escaping you there from Green Bay um, that they took there, and and, and like you say, yeah, uh, the, out of North Carolina State. Yeah, yeah, correct, correct, Josh Jones. Yeah, and and I like that pick too. I I think, like you said, uh, Green Bay definitely you know had some some defensive back injuries over the past few years, and and that's a, has been a knock on them, you know across the board is, is people always say their their secondary is terrible, but like you said, they're always hurt. So we haven't really seen what that secondary is able to do when healthy. Of course, now they've, they've let go Sam Shields, Micah Hyde's gone and they bring back Dev, Devon house. So with house back and King and Jones, we'll have to see how this goes for green Bay, but I agree. I like the pick, we're talking with Gary Davenport, dot com here. Um, another team in the NFC, North Minnesota Vikings. They end up getting Delvin cook running back to replace Adrian Peterson. Many analysts had this guy as a top 20 type pick. What are your thoughts on cook to the Vikings?
2: Yeah. My thoughts are Latavius Murray's fantasy value was gone before it ever showed up. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I He's a better talent than Murray easily. I mean, we'll probably see some sort of a carry split to open the season. But as the season goes on, we're going to see Cook take more and more of those touches. Cook's in every down running back and do just about everything you want him back to do. He's going to have to work on his pass protection a little bit. But you can say that about just about every young tailback entering a draft in a given year. I mean, blitz pickup is just not a priority for most college coaches. It was great value for the Vikings. I completely understand why they pulled the trigger there when they did, even after just signing Murray. I mean, I don't want to say that the kid is the replacement for Adrian Peterson. We can't really replace Adrian Peterson. But he's going to be a kid who could spur that Vikings ground game for several years to come. Vikings also turned around and picked up some nice O-line help on day two, which if there's a team in the NFL that needs O-line help, it is the Vikes.
0: Yeah, no doubt. They definitely did. Uh, One last one here, Gary, before we let you go, and and we kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, but Joe Mixon goes to Cincinnati. Hill and Bernard are already there. You add Mixon to the mix, and it seems fitting that Cincinnati would take a a controversial player in the draft that seems to be their M.O., and they add another piece to this offense. They've got Ross. They've got the other receiver you mentioned. I mean, what's your take on that? Are are they going to be – Almost an unstoppable offense with all of these weapons. I mean, like you said, they're going to stretch the field. How are teams going to defend Cincinnati? I think we're probably going to see
2: Hill kind of fade into the background a little bit. I mean, Bernard's hurt right now, so we'll have to wait and see whether he's going to be ready to go. If he is, I think there's still going to be a role for Gio Bernard as that third down guy, you know, the passing down back, because he's so good at that and so dangerous with the ball in space. But I think Hill's inconsistency and his penchant for putting the football on the ground has come back to haunt him. Obviously everyone's wise wisecracked that it's the Bengals. Of course it's the Bengals, a guy with behavior problems. Mix has got all the talent in the world. I know that just about everyone has either seen or heard about the video of him punching that woman. And it's, reprehensible, and I'll freely admit I'm conflicted about it. There's part of me that thinks, you know, a kid deserves a second chance. He was young when it happened. People make mistakes, et cetera, and so on.
0: And then there's another
2: part of me that thinks you just never put your hands on a woman for any reason, and anyone that does is a piece of you-know-what. Mm-hmm. So it's he's going to have to keep his right. nose clean. If he plays up to his potential, you look at what the Bengals have been able to do offensively, the, say these past two drafts. Like you mentioned, the depth they have at wide receiver—they got one of the NFL's best young tight ends in Tyler Eifert. Now they've got a three-headed backfield. I would assume they're going to kick their first-round. I think he was first-round pick last year. Inside, and Tyler Boyd will be their slot receiver. It's all going to come down to for Cincinnati: how badly does the loss of Kevin Zeitler and Andrew Whitworth hurt that offensive line? Because Andrew Dalton, Andy Dalton is Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde when it comes to whether or not there's pressure in his space. He can be one of the NFL's best quarterbacks when you give him a clean pocket and he can go through his reads and deliver the football, but if he's scrambling or there are guys in his completion percentage, pass rating, QBR, everything just craters when he's under pressure. So if that line takes a big step backward this year with the loss of those guys, then I don't know it's really going to matter what they did at the skill positions.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it's going to be interesting to see how Cincinnati fares after all this. They've got all the talent. They've got all the weapons in the world. Um, can Andy Dalton take him that next step? We'll see this year. I know you got to run Gary. He's Gary Davenport, BleacherReport.com. He's also a senior writer for Fantasy Sharks. He writes for Rotor World. He's a busy man. Where can people find you on Twitter, Gary? Uh, you can find me at IDP Sharks.
2: Spell just, just like it sounds. It's a long story. I got my start in the writing business writing about individual defensive players for fantasy football, and you know I like to remember my roots. There we go. Hey,
0: love it, love it, love it. We're we're big uh, proprietors of the of the IDP and fantasy. Uh, all the leagues that Co- uh, Cole and I play in are always uh, IDP. I, I, I don't think it's right to leave out the defensive players.
1: you
2: need
0: Yeah, a- I, it's just.
2: Defense is such a part of defense wins championships in the NFL, as the saying goes. And that you've turned a team defense into an afterthought in fantasy football that you draft before you grab a kicker. No, get you some defensive linemen, some linebackers, some defensive
0: backs. It's once you go IDP, you never go back. Exactly, and that's where that's we're true. at. Thank you for joining us, Gary, and enjoy the the third day of the NFL draft.
2: Oh, you too, gentlemen. Glad to be here. Yep. All okay. right, thank you
0: very much. All right, Gary Davenport, futurereport.com. Really appreciate him coming on the show. Uh, good conversation there, Cole. I mean, we really do- dove into a lot, and and, and uh, he was gracious enough to give us a half hour of his time. And there was so much that we wanted to cover. We didn't want to just kind of skim through this stuff, you know. I mean, we really wanted to dive into a lot of that. And and um, I, I think it's obvious that you need to give Gary Davenport a follow on Twitter, IDP Sharks. Um, he, he's won multiple – fantasy writing awards um you know he joked at the at the top of the top of the hour here that uh we tried to get somebody else but we ended up with him that wasn't the case at all i mean this this guy was at the top of our list and and somebody you should really look to as far as as fantasy advice and 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 kind of cool what he said there cole about the defensive players because you and i talk about that all the time it's like once like he said once you go to defensive players you never go back as far as fantasy goes and i i gotta agree with him there
1: those are my favorite people to draft. You know that the last few years, like, that's been basically the where all my points come from. Well, not all my points, but I pride myself in getting top 10 IDPs in every position. I like, I like my IDPs. And I, I want to uh, apologize to Gary. Uh, he made a joke about the Patriots having a lot of holes on their team, and I, I didn't pick up on it. Because I was just listening too intensely on what he was saying, and I just didn't realize it was a joke. So I want
0: to apologize I, for that. Yeah. I was kind of waiting for your comment to come in there, Cole. Cause I, I kind of <laughs> gave you the chance to, to, to ring up something there, but, uh, but yeah, yeah. He holes everywhere. He says, and I, I kind of chuckled, but then I, I was ready to move on to the next question. So um, yeah. he, he was probably. If, if I would have picked going, up on it. Yeah. If he if was I probably. Scratching up on his it, I would have said going, something about Tom Brady. <laughs> what are these guys? Are these guys not paying attention here or what, but. Anyway, thanks for joining us again, Gary. That was a great conversation. Uh, Moving on here, something that's kind of gone under the radar with the NFL draft happening right now, and that's Eli Manning. And right now, Cole, the story is, according to the report that's come out on Eli Manning, Manning asked the Giants equipment manager to find helmets that could be passed as game used. Um, He had an agreement with a memorabilia company and I believe, if it's escaping me now, but I believe he was supposed to give them two pieces of signed equipment, um, and they were both supposed to be signed game-worn helmets. Now, here's the thing, and and before we dive into really what happened here, this is gonna change. In my, if and if you don't know what's going on here, I guess we gotta set the tone here. Um, the memorabilia company is suing Manning and the Giants for conspiring to sell fake memorabilia. Of course, Giants lawyers on the other side of this say that the emails from Manning are taken out of context and that this company is only looking for a big payday. So here's that's the thing here, Cole. Manning cannot deny that he said the things that he said because it's written in an email that was acquired, and it's right there. There's no way he can say, uh, I didn't say that. And what Manning is basically coming out and saying is that he didn't do anything wrong here. And, and here's the problem. In the NFL, there's a rule that the players can only have one helmet. So in reality, when these memorabilia companies are asking teams or players to give them quote unquote game worn helmets that are signed, that are, are are displayed, whatever whatever the case may be, there's a good chance that for years now you haven't really been getting a game worn helmet and and you may have been getting a helmet that, uh, you know, player a, or in this case, Eli Manning wore in training camp in 2008, but it's still sitting on a giant shelf somewhere. He takes out his little silver Sharpie and signs it and passes it off. And I think what Eli Manning in this whole situation has uncovered is the fact that, you really haven't been buying game-worn helmets this whole time, people. And those of you who are in the memorabilia collecting, you know, trade or or that's a hobby of yours, um, this may hit you pretty hard. If you've got a a signed helmet from Eli Manning on your mantle, it might not be the real deal. Um, Cole, what's your take on this? I mean, because I think we're going to see this whole, this is going to change the game as far as signed memorabilia goes. What do you think about this? Uh,
1: well, I didn't know that the one helmet thing. I didn't know that. I, if it was Peyton Manning, you would definitely know if it was his because he would have just a giant helmet. But Eli, he kind of has a normal <laughs> head, but he he just looks stupid, so you can't really tell from the helmet. Um, <laughs> I that's kind of that's interesting.
0: Yeah, that, it is. I mean. He he turned over his, his email records. Um, they were released by the court last Wednesday. And I guess, you know, the dealers are... are, are ba- and you can understand the side of this from the memorabilia dealer. He's got an agreement with Eli Manning, which I'm sure he paid a lot of money for because... He's got an agreement to get a signed helmet from the quarterback of the New York Giants, and it's supposed to be game-worn. That was the agreement. So when he's getting or intercepting an email that, he, you know, he's finding out that his equipment that he's supposed to get is actually fake, and I, and I say quote-unquote fake as not game-worn, I think I would yeah. be upset. I mean, you're paying big money for this. And and, and, and you know, you get your little certificate of authenticity. Well, how many – and here's the question. How many of these certificate of authenticities have been passed around in the years where they're just, it's just bullshit? It, it, it says authentic, game-worn, but it really isn't. And I right. think we're going to – you know, I, I think that this whole – especially with helmets – I think this whole game worn helmet thing is is going to go by the wayside because it's it's too the you know Manning the Giants and this memorabilia company just uncovered the facts to the public. And nobody's talking about this because the NFL draft is going on. So Eli Manning is 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 got his hands together and saying thank you to the sky because otherwise I mean he would be everywhere because we've seen what happened to Tom Brady over deflated footballs. You're talking about somebody who legitimately lied and passed the buck and, and basically scammed a memorabilia company. Um, it would be everywhere. But that, yeah, I, so I, I just wanted to touch on that because it's kind of gone under the radar here as far as, you know, the topics of, uh, of, of the week. So I'm glad we can touch on that. Um, we're a little behind schedule. So we got to move on into our lead story of the week. And that's brought to you in part by FanDuel. We here at the Coach and Cole Show have partnered with our friends at FanDuel. And if you've never tried FanDuel before now is your chance to get in on the fun and support the Coach and Cole show. Go to forwardmile.com slash coach and coal and click the link that we have posted that will bring you to the FanDuel homepage where you can sign up. You only have to deposit as little as ten dollars to start And depending on what contest you enter, you can double, triple, quadruple, or even quintuple that in one contest on FanDuel. And by clicking the link that we have provided, FanDuel will kick back a couple bucks to help us keep bringing you this show free on a weekly basis. So big story of the week, besides the NFL draft, besides the NFL uh, NBA playoffs and the NHL playoffs is ESPN. They fired 100-plus employees on Wednesday, I believe it was. And you know, this was pretty big news everywhere. And and it wasn't just the fact that they fired some staff. Okay? I mean, the fact is is that it's ESPN and they lay off a hundred staffers and they're on and, and a lot of them were on air talent. And, pe- and 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 guys who had uh, a long career there at ESPN. And so we've seen we've seen guys like Ed Werder get canned. We've seen Jay Crawford from SportsCenter get canned. We've seen Jason Stark uh say, you know, get the pink slip. We we, we saw um a lot basically the entire hockey staff get the boot. I mean, we, we've talked about this off the air Cole. This is a really weird time for sports media. Sports television, um, sports writing, sports anything, because like we talked about here, Cole, and and we're in the same business. You know, we talk about sports. We're on an international platform here on Blog Talk Radio. We've we've got our own project with ForwardMile.com, and now you're seeing bloggers, sports writers from the biggest company in the world, sports company in the world, get the boot. Over a hundred of them, and. If you watch ESPN programming, you see that they're kind of leaning towards pop culture and opinion. And a lot of people, it's rubbing a lot of people the wrong way, Cole. So, I mean, what are your thoughts on ESPN letting go hundred over a hundred employees? Uh,
1: it for me, it sucks because there's a lot of um, NBA specific people that were let go. That without them we would not have the information we have now to us. Like, there's, there's like, I don't know how to put it. Like, there's people that work for ESPN that put, like, analytics and just basketball talk and put it out on the forefront. And, it, I don't know, it's just the fact that some of these big NBA names, bloggers, writers, people that can talk basketball, all day, every day, are just not going to be there. I'm wondering where they go. I don't know where a lot of these people go. Like, where does Ed Werder go? He reports. Like, and that's the thing too. Like, Adam Schefter, you saw him a few weeks ago start doing NBA games. And I, first time I saw that, I thought it was very weird. And he started breaking NBA news on his Twitter accounts, and I thought that was very weird. But now it makes sense because all these names that, of people that they have let go, it's one sport-specific, they, that they only do one sport. They only talk about one sport. They only report on one sport. And it looks like they're trying to keep the people that can do more than one thing and save money that way because they paid uh, $24 billion over nine years for the NBA rights. Exactly. and And now people are not paying for cable. They're streaming stuff. They're cutting the cord, as, as the saying is. They're getting the PlayStation View. They're getting the Fire Stick. They're getting this. They're getting that. And they're just streaming sports instead of actually, like, tuning in on on actual television on cable, which that's how people get their numbers. They still haven't – they don't accumulate the numbers from streaming yet. I don't know why they don't do that, but they don't. And lo- ESPN is losing money because – They've paid that much for it and people just aren't watching it on their cable network. And they've
0: got to make up that money somehow. They don't really care about the numbers from streaming because they already got the money. So, you know, and we've seen, and and this is a good point, I think uh, Major League Baseball started this whole movement when they went to their online streaming MLB package. Before, you had to get the MLB package on a cable or satellite provider, just like you have to get the NFL, and so on and so on. MLB really set the tone for all these other major sports and all these other networks uh, as far as watching sports live stream on the Internet. And they they had a ton of success. And for once, baseball does something proactive and, and in the times, so to speak. I mean, usually they're behind the times, but they set the bar for this. And then you saw, and, and I think this is really going to start the movement now, and I think we're really starting to see it, because after MLB does it, uh, WWE follows suit, and they throw all of their chips onto the table. They go all in and start the WWE Network. So now... Not only are you able to stream, you know, and, and we're talking pro wrestling here, sports entertainment, but it's going to set the tone for the rest of these sports. So that's why I bring it up because they have their own network where they control what, what's put out, what information, what shows. They create it, they produce it, they edit it, they put it out, and they, they reap the benefits. There's no middleman. You pay your nine ninety nine, it's a great deal. You pay your nine ninety nine a month and you can watch it on any device, anytime, anywhere. And it's the same with MLB. And now NFL starting to follow suit with their NFL Sunday ticket. Okay, you can watch it on your phone. You can do this, you can do that. All right. So that's where we're starting to go here. Like you said, Cole, it's all internet now. Um What was I gonna say here? I lost my train of thought. Oh, okay. John Skipper, network president of ESPN. He sends out a letter to ESPN talent, and here's what it said. And I quote A necessary component of managing change involves consistently evaluating how we best utilize all of our resources. And, so, and that sometimes involves difficult decisions. Our content strategy, primarily illustrated in recent months by melding distinct personality driven sports center TV editions and digital only efforts with our biggest sub brand, still needs to go further and faster. And as always, we must be efficient and nimble. Dynamic change demands and an increased focus on versatility and value. And as a result, we have been engaged in the challenging process of determining the talent, anchors, analysts, reporters, writers, and those who handle play-by-play necessary to meet those demands. He goes on to continue to say a few other things. But just that's echoing what we're saying here. This is a really weird time for sports media. And, And like you said, Cole, they overpaid for some broadcast rights. It's it just the fact of the matter is they overpaid for the NBA and the NFL. And because of that, they had to let some people go. Now it's, it's amazing that they let over a hundred people go. I mean, they've lost over 12 million subscribers in the last six years, according to the Washington post. And Seven and 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 you look at uh, with as far as the magazine and their online subscribe some subscriptions, seven dollars a month was paid out to ESPN per subscriber. So you do the math on twelve million, they've lost nearly a hundred million dollars going forward. And so then you add in the addition here, you add in the cable stuff, the satellite stuff, um, and like you said, you've got PlayStation View, you've got YouTube. TV that's starting, all this stuff. I mean, Cole, and you, and you mentioned this a little bit. You know, where do these guys go? I think, you know, Ed Werder came out and said he's not done. He's not retiring. So, right. it, if you were to make a prediction here, do you think Fox Sports One really ups the ante here and signs a lot of these big name talents from ESPN? I think they kind
1: of have to, because if they want to be as big as ESPN, you know, they're going to have to take the talent that they let go, so nobody else can get them. It's either you spread them thin throughout a bunch of sports media sporting sports outlet companies or you take them all. And one thing that I want to hit on real quick was ESPN on on Twitter. This is just strictly Twitter. They have mm-hmm. uh th- 31 million followers. Barstool Sports has 767,000 followers. And Barstool gets almost double the amount of... Or not double. Um, well, they get more interaction on Twitter than ESPN does. And I don't know exactly what that means. I mean, I know what it means. But, like, other companies, other sporting outlets are getting more... Not just interaction but volume hits on their on their websites, on their social media pages than ESPN is. So right. I don't know what ESPN is doing, but they gotta look at, at something that I, I think a lot of people are just we talked about this the other day. ESPN used to be a bunch of highlights and analysis yeah. and you would watch it all day because you know, you wouldn't get it anywhere else. And now you can get highlights anywhere you want. It doesn't matter. And the analysis on ESPN isn't the stuff that you necessarily want anymore. It's opinionated stuff. It's just loud yelling in your, in your face, the stuff that you don't want to hear because like a lot, some people do, some people don't, but like seems like a lot of people since, you know, a lot of people aren't watching ESPN anymore. Don't want just people yelling arguments in their face. They just want to watch the highlights. And you go on your phone. You can watch whatever highlight you want. You don't have to watch ESPN.
0: Right. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, people love to be able to turn on ESPN, turn on SportsCenter. They want to see Stuart Scott giving them the highlights. They want to see Chris Berman giving them the highlights. They 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 want to see um, his name is uh, Kenny Maine giving them the rundown of what happened and they don't yeah. get that anymore. They don't get it. Like you said, they get, they get, they get 20 different personalities and 20 different opinions on every single thing that happens. And people are changing the channel. They're, they're going to, if they want to see baseball highlights, they go watch quick pitch on, on MLB network. They want to watch uh, NHL highlights. They go to the NHL network. They, they want, they, they want to see, uh, you know, highlights of the games and what happened, not and analysis. what, not, yeah, they want analysis. They don't want your opinion all the time. And I think it's hard for a lot of these networks to understand that because we live in this day and age of social media where everyone has an opinion. Cole, you and I have an opinion. We're on a podcast right now. We're giving our opinion every week. And excuse my uh, language here, but there's a saying, it, opinions are like assholes. Everyone's got one and they okay. and, the, and and <laughs> and so, you know, this—it's just the fact that you can get opinions everywhere. You turn on your phone, on your social media account, and you got an opinion. I don't want to turn the on thing. ESPN and get an opinion again. I, I, do you? Are I, you? Do you agree with me there?
1: I love. I I'm involved a lot in NBA Twitter which is me um, just follow a lot of people that talk about the NBA on Twitter. And I have more fun interacting with that, looking at the conversations that people have about whatever, like whatever game just played, whatever player we're talking about rather than hearing Stephen A. Smith. Like, have you seen the commercials that they play during the NBA games of about first take it's, Every single one is just like he's never talking. Stephen A. Smith is yelling the whole entire time.
3: Right. Like, who
1: wants to watch that? I, I stopped watching first Take around 2017, around 2014. I remember I just like cause I used to watch it during lunch all the time, and I just after a while I just I can't take. So it's just it's really bad opinions, and it's just yelling at me, and I just yeah. I couldn't take it anymore. It was just stupid. And I agree with you like you, everyone has an opinion and I'd rather get an opinion from just some random ass dude who just watches the same stuff I watch and just just talking it out rather than some dude yelling at me and he gets paid millions for it.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Um it's it, it's it's to the point where we're in a really pivotal spot as far as sports media goes in the history of things, because there is a big movement for the internet streaming and we've already touched on all this, but I think I'm glad we were able to talk about this at length because it's a huge deal and it's going to be interesting to see where all these personalities go from ESPN. And you know, if you're, and and this leads me into our next segment here, if you're a hockey fan, you're not. You're no longer going to be going to ESPN, and they and took let's it off face page. it, they, they, they took it off the page, and 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 let's face it, a lot of people were not going to ESPN for their hockey highlights and things anymore because they they hardly ever cover it, and 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 here's why, they they don't have the rights to show it on their television, so why yeah. promote something that you can't watch on ESPN, and that whole self promotion thing that they've got that this, this whole entitlement, you know, attitude they have where they only promote things you can see on their television. And that's why you can see soccer highlights a million times because they play soccer all the time on their network. You don't see hockey highlights. And and a lot and a lot of people are are are, are not liking it. So, we'll see how it goes, but that that brings us right to our next segment here and we're going to talk NHL playoffs. And we've got Dan Buffa of SB, SB Nation on the line with us. Can you hear us, Dan?
4: Yes, sir. What's going on?
0: Hey, how we doing today? Uh, how, how's things going uh, down there for you, Dan?
4: Well, I will say, in St. Louis right now, we're we're getting that kind of like that flood idea. That it hasn't stopped raining in like four days, so we're uh, we're trying to stay away from the flood. We're hoping, like I guess, the dam holds up and. <laughs> Blues keep winning games that, to take take our minds off the fact that it might not never stop raining again.
0: Yeah, you know we we got a lot of that up here. We're up in here in the upper Midwest, and we got a lot of that rain uh, last week. And it was, it was the same kind of thing. And it was rain, snow, rain, snow. At least you're down there <laughs> a little bit south, so you're not getting the snow because that's what we're dealing with up here.
4: Yeah, I mean, it's just it's been rainy and it was it was really sunny and beautiful last week and now this week it's just been cold and rainy. I I don't think Mother Nature kind of can really make up her mind about the Midwest.
0: <laughs> exactly. Is it is it still winter or are we moving into spring here? Um, all right, Dan, let's dive into this. You know, you covered the Blues for SB Nation. Um, let's get right into the Blues Predator series. Both teams led by their goaltenders in the first round. Unbelievable performances from Renee and Allen. Then in Game One they allow seven goals combined after only allowing eleven in the first round. So to kind of set the stage here, it's a it's a tie game late. Jake Allen goes for one of his go-to moves and that's the poke check. He's, he goes down on his stomach, whiffs on it. Game one insert Vernon Fiddler chops the puck by him and becomes Game One hero. Game two, Fiddler goes low on Blues defenseman Colton Pareko and he gets ejected from the game. Was that a dirty hit in your mind, Dan?
4: You know, it's hard for me to really call it dirty because, you know, when two players connect behind the net, I mean, if a player like really purposely puts his knee out there, it's one thing. But I, I don't really think it was as dirty as people thought. I think it was a matter of two guys coming behind the net. And I think there's instincts in hockey that kind of just they come out no matter what. Like, okay, this guy's coming around. I'm going to have to you know, get him off his game. And I don't think Fittler really meant that to be like malicious, but it, it kind of looks that way. Those knee hits always look a little awkward because you know, you have two guys going in opposite directions at full speed, so it looks that way. But it didn't really come up to me like, oh, man, that was a really dirty hit.
0: Yeah, and, you know, I was kind of thinking the same way. The crowd was all over it. They They didn't like the hit. They, they send him off the ice, and I think that was a little bit of a momentum swing, and in the fact that Perica was uh, able to come back and return in that game was a good sign for the Blues. Allen returned to form last night after the first game, game one hiccup. Uh, the goals he allowed were, were quick off turnovers and deflections, things of that nature. In your mind, Dan, is Allen the key for the Blues in this series?
4: He is. I mean, I, I think the fact that Pekka Arena, he, he, the way he's playing, the way he has been playing – you have to match him. It's like going up against, you know, the best. I mean, down the stretch, you know, pecarine and Allen were the best. You know, I mean, they, they just they shut down the opponent. I mean, I wasn't that surprised that the Predators really slapped the Hawks around just because of the way they were playing, the way that their, their goaltender was playing. And, Allen, you know, game one, you allow a couple goals that are just off wicked deflections. I mean, one went off a skate. One was a hundred – it seemed like a 150-mile-per-hour – PK and slap shot and then so really you know he's allowed some tricky goals and then he, yes the one where he's like okay i'm gonna poke check this one away and then he just whiffed you know it's you know it's like a a bad baseball player thinking he has a fastball lined up but he just whiffed and you know you know fiddler poked it past them so i think that last night he was really great late because the predators just seem to go okay we, we can't go back to the our home 1-1, one, one, we have to score. And they were throwing everything but the kitchen sink at Allen, and he was stopping it. I think I put a gif up of a Street Fighter character just, like, stopping every, you know, shot possible because he was just really <laughs> standing on his head. And that's what he's going to yep. have to do. If he's going to slow down this Predator team, which is just kind of becoming the sneaky beast in the West and, you know, beating up on the Hawks and they're pushing the Blues to the brink, if Allen really deflates. I mean, the Blues, I'll be honest with you guys, they haven't played a really completely strong game yet, and, you know, they won four out of five from the Wild in the first round, and they've managed to tie this series, but without Allen, I mean, they don't make it out of the first round. I mean, he's just been a very dominant player for this team.
0: Yeah, absolutely. If he's able to continue to stand on his head like he did in Game 2, the sky is the limit, and we've seen it before, Dan, that when a goaltender like this gets hot, there's no telling how far he can take a team as long as he yeah. he stays hot, and, and especially and,
4: and especially with with the way the Blues are getting a, a scoring like before last night they were getting scoring from all kinds of people in the roster. I mean Vladimir Saboka was playing in the KHL over a month ago, and now he's come back and he's you know after a series of Rene turning away Patrick Kane shot. There's Saboka rifling a wrist shot over his left shoulder in game one. I mean, it just tells you if the blues can continue to get that kind of scoring from all of their four lines. And God forbid if David Perron wakes up, I mean, you never know what can happen.
0: Yeah. And you know, when he came back, he scored his first goal in his first game back against Arizona in the regular season. And when the wild yeah. and blues series started, I was telling people that Sabolka was going to be an X factor for the blues coming back because we've seen the talent that he had when he left to the KHL over the contract dispute. And a lot of people laughed at me when I said that, but he has been absolutely that an X factor. Wouldn't you agree?
4: Yeah. I mean, and I was a guy, I was like, why did you get this guy a three year extension? He's been gone for two for three years, but you know, when he was playing for the Blues, he was kind of a disruptive player. That's why I think of Saboka. I think he, he just kind of disrupts their team. He can win face-offs. He's like a 160-pound guy who plays like he's 225 pounds, because he just goes yeah. into the corners, gets really dirty. But he's got a really good shot. I mean, there, he, like I said, game one, he's just coming down. He's got his eyes across the ice of the other Blues player, and then he just rifles his shot. Above Rene, to where even he was like, "Bro, where, where, where'd that come from?" You know, well, he does that, yeah. and yeah, he he's definitely one of those guys that doesn't really you know care for his body. He 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 will take out the other player. He doesn't mind getting dirty, but he's got a lot of skill, and I think he's got a little bit of a chip on his shoulder, being that he just came back, and you know, and you know, he's kind of has to earn the not just the fans' trust back, but his teammates.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and. And let's touch on the other Vladimir there in, in St. Louis, Vladimir Tarasenko. He finally makes his presence known here in the playoffs. He scores two goals last night in game two. And, and let's be honest, it was only a matter of time before a player of his caliber started to make a difference. Now that he's inserted himself into the fold here again, like we knew he would, how do you think the Predators can slow him down? Because the Wild did a pretty good job in, in, in the first series here in the playoffs. How do the Predators replicate that?
4: I think it really comes down to his the, the line mates. I mean, if guys like like Schwartz and, and the, the pe- people he's playing with, if they can maintain, you know, their effectiveness and require the Predators to focus on them and give Vladimir Teresinko a little bit of he just needs a little bit of space. And I think the Wild did that very well, and the Predators did that in game one. They cut down his shooting lane. They wouldn't let him really get set in that slot where he's just deadly. I mean, I mean if he gets open in that slot and he has a little bit of space to fire that wrister or even find a teammate like, like he did in the first round with a couple key assists he's deadly but if the Predators want to do that they're going to have to find a way to shut that really cut down his space the way the Blues were able to slowly cut down P.K. Supan's uh, uh Subban's uh, space last night as far as that slap shot they just didn't let him get unwind it and get really set last night the, The Predators have to do the same thing with Teresinko. They just have to cut him down, but also make sure his line mates aren't really really able to forecheck and do their jobs.
0: Yeah, exactly. And you mentioned it, and that's that's a perfect segue for me when I ask you next. One thing I've noticed is that these Predators defensemen they shoot the puck out of a cannon. I mean, you talk about Subban, Josie, Ellis. These guys can really fire it from the blue line. And, and this is where deflections and rebounds have become a problem already in this series for St. Louis. So, if you're Coach Mike Yo, how are you game planning for those offensively-minded defensemen from Nashville?
4: You know, and, and to think they people are worried when, when they trade away Shea Weber and now they still have all these guys that can shoot missiles. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I think it comes down in – game, in game one – the the Blues—they only had four blocks. And look, I'm not telling any human being to get in front of one of those slap shots, but sometimes, you know, getting down and blocking one of those things, or maybe just putting your stick on the ice, because they weren't able to really stuff those lanes of the defenseman in, in Game One, and in Game Two, that they, they had, a, you know, a few more blocks. I mean, they obviously didn't weren't able to stop all of them, but it's just a matter of not letting those guys get space because. Even Subban, he'll, he'll kind of skate backwards just so he can get that extra windup on, on his shot. And just it's just a matter of just doing that. I mean, in game two, they, they registered 24 blocks, the Blues, as opposed to game one where they only had four blocks. So you think about, you know, yeah. you get down there, you sacrifice your body. And look, I'm not – I don't make that kind of money, so I'm not going to lay down in front of a 102-mile-per-hour shot and – go oh, I got it uh we just go off the ice for about four hours and ice my my back <laughs> but uh it's just that's a matter of doing it because those guys they love to shoot and and that's the way they wear down defense I mean you know you, you get these guys firing shots but it's kind of the same thing as Teresinko you just have to you know don't don't give them the space they want maybe even forecheck a little bit maybe also just kind of smack them around a little bit I mean You know, it comes down to even after the whistle, just kind of pushing them and shoving them and kind of getting inside their heads a little bit, which is what the fourth line can do for the Blues, Brodziak and Upshaw and Reeves, who are just kind of like the pests, who really, really big, you know, big pests. But their job is to get in there and really kind of mess with these players and their timing. So keep blocking shots, but also just kind of smack them around a little bit. I mean, it's just that, that old adage in the hockey league, just punch them in the face, and then they may not be, be able to execute as
0: well. Yeah, exactly. And physicality is, is St. Louis's MO all season, and so that's something that they're going to have to look look to in Game 3. And speaking of that, the series is headed back to Nashville Sunday for Game 3. So, Dan, who's got the upper hand here right now, and who do you think ultimately wins the series?
4: You know, I, I think it's it's so even right now because – the Blues. It's. I mean, I. You know, I'm. I'm a film critic, so I can't make go out an article without making a movie reference. So after game one, I was like, Well, the Blues proved that Predators can bleed, but now they have to beat them, and they beat them. I just don't know how often they're, they're going to be able to do that with the because I don't think Nashville's played their best game yet, I and mean, you saw the way they played against Chicago when when they have all it's cylinders firing and, and Rene is just unstoppable. It gets really hard. My pre-series pick was the heart. Of course, I'd like to see the Blues in seven, but my, my pick of the Nashville in six, I'm still holding firm on that just because I think they're going to play really tough at home, and I think they're going to make it hard for the Blues unless Teresinko just goes off the handle. Uh, I mean, winning a game in St. Louis without playing their best, I wouldn't be surprised if it went seven, but I still see Nashville winning this series.
0: Yeah, it's going to be a hard-fought physical series, and, and looking forward to that Game 3 Sunday. Uh, before we let you go, Dan, let's talk about a couple of the other series going on. Game game 1 between Washington and Pittsburgh, Sidney Crosby scores two goals in a minute, and then, of course, Ovechkin answers, <laughs> and it's always Crosby and Ovechkin back and forth. But the real story of this game, I think, when it was all said and done, was that sequence at the end where Mark andre Fleury is able to stand on his head and there's a scrum, there's bodies flying everywhere. The puck finally ends up going back towards Fleury at the net. He has a save. Is Crosby – are Crosby and the Penguins going to get the best of the Capitals again? Because after that first game, Washington gave them all they had, and they still couldn't get the job done. But there's a part of me that still thinks it's Washington's year. What's your thoughts on this series?
4: I mean, you think Washington – they're almost like a kid – at a store and he's buying all the greatest he's all he's buying all the best GI Joes but he cannot win the battle. So they're going there by, okay, I'm going to buy this very expensive. Oh yeah. Let's get Shattenkirk this time. And then we have a very great goaltender. I think, I think we, I think we can do this. And then they go in the playoffs and there's the nemesis, Sidney Crosby, the guy who just seemingly shows up on the ice and he steps on and he becomes a magician and he's got to be driving the people of Washington nuts because they're thinking, is this guy going to retire in the next like five to 10 years? Cause we would like to raise that cup because you think they have <laughs> right. one of the greatest goal scorers of all time. And Alexander Ovechkin who's getting, you can tell he's got getting a little restless. I and mean, then you have, you even had a piece like TJ Oshie, Justin Williams, Brayden Holpe probably one of the best in the league. And then you get, you know, the defenseman, you know, the shotgun at the point, you know, the quarterback, in Shattenkirk, and now you still can't overcome the Pittsburgh Penguins. And even Crosby goes, well, you're a guy might score one goal, but I'm going to score two goals before somebody can go get another beer in their seat. It's just endlessly frustrating. So I still think as, as powerful as the Washington is, and as well as they play in the regular season with their record, I think they're kind of like the Minnesota Wild. They kind of tripped up a little bit down the stretch – They had a very dominant period. I mean, look, I I watched them destroy my Blues in person in that game in January, where they just wouldn't stop scoring, or February, where they wouldn't stop scoring goals. It was embarrassing. I think they scored so many goals in the Blues, they got tired of raising their arms up. You know, they almost (laughs) just get back to the bench and go, "Whatever, okay, we scored again. Who? Big deal. It's a big net." But uh, I think the Pittsburgh Penguins are just—they're too tough. I think they're the—they're kind of like that that poison that's going to sit right in front of the the capitals every time they get there. So I think another long series, but I think the Penguins are going to get the best of them.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's some stat, I don't have it in front of me, but the team that won the first game, uh, Washington had won the first game in this series, I think seven out of the nine times and both times Pittsburgh won game ones. It ended in five. So, yeah, I mean,
4: I, and I yeah. love, I mean, and, and, and I love Ovechkin. I mean, he, I mean, non-blue player. He's probably like, you know, when, when I was when I was a big football fan, my, my guy was Peyton Manning. So when when the Rams would would kind of go, okay, we're done, that would happen really early, as we all know for a lot of years and I go, okay, I'm going to follow Peyton Manning. Now when the blues ever, whenever they went out, okay, like what's Ovechkin doing? And I'd love to see this guy raise the cup. And if the blues can't do it, I'd love to see Ovechkin do it. But I just, I, it may be one of those things where he's kind of like the Dan Marino where he just never gets there.
0: Yeah, it certainly seems that way. We'll have to see. It's going to be an exciting series for sure. Uh One more to touch on here, Dan, before we let you go, Ottawa, New York, Neither team could score at even strength in game one, but both goaltenders played amazing. But it, was a, it turned out to be that, that lucky goal scored by Eric Carlson from behind the net in the corner off the back of Lundquist turns out to be the game winner. New York is such a deep team. But Ottawa just got out of that physical series with Boston, and, and they're just a team that continues to surprise here in the postseason. What's your feeling on this series, and, and who do you think comes away winning this one?
4: Yeah, I mean it's funny because you know Ottawa, they're kind of like that team that you never really think, oh, they're going to be tough in the playoffs. You just think that okay, they might get in and they might be you know, kind of disrupt a few things, kind of like what Edmonton is doing in the West. Like, well, wait, right. well, all of a sudden, the right. Oilers are just like, like where did you come from? I know you have Connor, make, you know, make 'em awesome, you know. I mean, but he, it, it, they're just one of these sneaky teams. And I think you look at that game between the Senators and the Rangers. They. They threw 43 shots at Henrik, man. I mean, it's just eventually he's like, okay, I'm tired, you know. It's going to end on one of those goals that just kind of bounces in. And, you know, you look at the hits and the blocks and the giveaways. They each spend about eight minutes in the box. Uh, You know, that's going to be an even series, guys. I mean, I I think that's another seven-gamer. But I still want to think that the Rangers are going to come out just because they have that guy named Henrik that is just – we talk about unbelievable goaltenders and guys who just – they become almost superhuman in the playoffs. I still think that even though the Rangers can't really buy a goal at times, I still think they have Henrik. And I think as much as the, the Ottawa Senators, they're having this surprising run. I still think they're not, they're going to have a hard time getting a lot past uh, Henrik Lundqvist. Even though if the Rangers can't score, it, it, it might be another painful year for the you know the, the guys in New York.
0: Yeah, exactly. They've got the king, and, and he has, has been amazing this whole season. He's the king. He's the king for a reason. And, and you're Dan Buffa, SB Nation. Dan, where can folks find you on Twitter?
4: Uh, I am at Buffa82 on Twitter. I write for uh, St. Louis Game Time, of course, they the SB Nation site. We also have – we also produce a paper outside every Blues game, including the playoffs. It's the only yeah. fan-made paper – uh, yeah, it's sold for. It's a four-dollar, twenty-eight-page paper of, of so many good things in there. I mean, I write for, it, but it's probably like the least thing you, you'll probably flip past it. There's so many good articles in there. We, you know, we have some fun with the air team. We have some, you know, we 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 say the the f bomb a lot because they can't stop us yet. Uh, you know, <laughs> just, if, if, if you put words to ink and you pay for it, you know, they they can't stop you. But we have some. We have a fun time. I write for KSTK News as well. I cover the St. Louis Cardinals, and I'm also a, a very dedicated, almost too dedicated film critic. I probably review a, a couple movies a week. So KSTKNews.com and then St. LouisGameTime.com, but all of it goes out of @buff82 uh, on Twitter.
0: All right, well get over there and follow Dan on Twitter. He, he's he's a busy man. He covers everything St. Louis, and like you said, a lot of good stuff there with the paper. Check it out if you're at a and they can get that paper right outside of a Blues game, correct?
4: yeah you can also get it in a PDF in your email. you just gotta sign up. you can contact uh, uh, G GT at, uh, at-, at gametime.com if you ask if you go on, if you like message the St. Louis gametime account on Twitter, they will you can get it in your email in the morning so you can get it all read before the game even starts at night.
0: Perfect. That's cool stuff, Dan. Hey, we got to get going. we're coming down on the clock. really appreciate you coming on the show and we'll have to do this again sometime soon.
4: Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. It was a fun time. You guys have a good
0: day. Hey, absolutely. You too, Dan. All right, Dan Buffa, SB Nation. Hey, if you're a movie guy, a movie buff, Cole, I know you are. Uh, you're going to have to check his stuff out because he, he's, he's in all kinds of stuff, St. Louis sports, movies, uh, you name it, Cardinals, Blues. Uh, check him out.
1: I'll, I'll go there for the uh... – for the movies but I'll, I'll mute the hockey
0: stuff <laughs> hey hey you know yeah that's what i figured but hey that's why i said you know you're a movie guy and and, and i haven't checked yeah. out any of his movie stuff and i want to now because um i some of his his stuff on sb nation that i've read uh covering the blues like he said he re- he makes movie references in his articles and and he's he's awesome man you got to check him out i mean just even uh I can imagine that his movie reviews are are just as good as his, his sports, his sports writing. So check him out for sure. Really appreciate him coming on the show. And are you a fantasy baseball player out there listening in blog talk radio world? Do you play DFS? Then look no further than the forward mile DFS provider showcase champion and the NBA DFS provider of the year DFS JDM. JDM and his team have been providing winning DFS lineups for quite some time. And right now, today, you can get it for only $30 a month
1: and you'll get complete access to all of his amazing lineups.
0: That's right. So get on Twitter and follow DFS underscore JDM and send him a direct message for more details on how you can become a subscriber to his fantasy content. MLB has just got started, so don't wait any longer and get over to DFS underscore JDM. That's at DFS underscore JDM. One more time, at DFS underscore JDM now, and tell them Coach and Cole sent you. All right, Cole, so Nike, Under Armour, and Adidas. Are we skipping NBA? Oh, my my goodness, that's right. We have got to reverse. Let's reverse here, and we're going to go back because – we've got a lot of nba talk to get to before the show ends. I, and we're i coming down quick. The, we're, i know we got to get to it we we've we kind of got long-winded here with the rest of the stuff on the show but hey the nba playoffs are going on right now and there's a lot of good stuff to talk about so cole um let's why don't you start us off here uh with that goal with that clippers utah series what i mean it's going to go to game seven correct who do you think comes out of that series
1: uh, Utah should have closed it out last night. They should have. I I think that Clippers being at home on Game 7, I think they could do it. I would love to see a classic Chris Paul meltdown um, where the Clippers lose a Game 7 at home. That would be great. Uh, really, all that's happening is who's going to get beat by the Warriors in probably four or five games in the next round. Um, Gobert tweaked his ankle last night. So he's got that sprained knee from game one. Then he tweaked his ankle last night. he It was basically like a 90-degree angle. He just landed on the on his ankle. Uh, Blake Griffin's still out for the playoffs, so that's he's not coming back at any point. But looking into the next series, which would be Golden State versus one of these two teams, uh, Golden State swept Portland. Uh, Last Monday, they ended it. Uh, Kevin Durant should be good for round two. Don't have to worry about him. But their head coach, Steve Kerr, will most likely be out for the rest of the playoffs. And Mike Brown will be taking his place. um, Like 2.30 tomorrow is game seven between Clippers and the Jazz. So, Golden State say we'll find out who they play early. And then they'll beat them in four. Regardless of who it is, and I'm They haven't played each other in the playoffs. The Clippers and the Warriors. Everybody freaks out about like, oh, the Warriors just they they ended up they killed their seasons every year. They beat the shit out of them in the regular season, but they haven't played them in the playoffs in a while. So, but I, yeah. I don't want to see them in the playoffs because I'm tired of the Clippers. They need to break that team up. Chris Paul, for how great he is, uh, he's a micromanaging little temper tantrum, midget. He, Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Justin, for how great he is, his numbers, he's very efficient, which is great. But he doesn't, for as much as assists he gets, he controls the ball way too much. And that could be a knock on Russ as well. But as far as this team with another all-star and Blake Griffin, I know he's hurt, but... They just don't mesh together and it doesn't look like they have they have fun playing basketball anymore a few years ago you know they were dunk city it was really fun to watch them, but now it's just like when they win it's more of a relief than it is actual fun winning.
0: take that for data, yeah, it looks like that for sure i mean they they just they just seem to be i i think do you th- oh, here's the question if if l a loses is doc rivers down the road? Do they fire Doc?
1: I don't think they fire him, but they need to get rid of him being a GM. He can't do both. I don't think he's... Yeah, it's one or the other. If you look it's at, one or the other. If you look at his... Since he's been the head coach GM, look at his acquisitions, either through trade or draft or signings in the offseason. There's not one good player. I mean, there's a couple of good players, but there's like nothing that would make an impact on a playoff team. The best player they've had since he's been there that isn't there anymore is Eric Gordon. Other than that, there's nobody else. J.J. Redick, who I love J.J. Redick as a Duke guy, but he doesn't really move the needle.
0: Right. Yeah, I I mean, and it's going to be interesting because Jordan signs a long-term contract. If the Clippers lose and they break that team up, I mean, Jordan could be stuck there in L.A. after he wanted to move on to another team. Um, right after the, you know so that could be interesting to see um san san antonio memphis probably the best series of the first round the spurs end up taking it in 6 um you know i i, I don't know i was kind of pulling for memphis there take that for data uh, yeah i was pulling for <laughs> i was pulling for memphis and 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 david fisdale they just they couldn't get it done San Antonio was too much. Now we're going to see San Antonio Houston. What's what's your take on this? Because I think this is going to be the most entertaining series because this is probably the only series, Cole, in the second round where both teams could essentially win the series. And not only that, these are the only two teams, in my opinion, and, and I'll get yours here, but in my opinion, that can have a shot to beat the Golden State Warriors, what, what do you think?
1: Uh, I think that Houston would be the one that could beat Golden State. I don't think San Antonio has enough. They have Kawhi, but Tony Parker, last season, second round, he ran out of gas. He did have a nice game six uh, the other night, but I don't know how much he has left in the tank. Ginobili has been a shell of himself. He he should have retired last year. Uh, Pogosol, he's old. I think that Houston – and you look at the talent around Harden. Harden, he had some pretty good games against OKC, but shoot particularly well. He got to the free throw line a lot, which is what his game is. But the guys around him, you could – I mean, you obviously saw who the better team was. And against San Antonio, I think that they just have too much firepower for San Antonio – I think in order for San Antonio to do something like Kawhi Leonard has to you know, somehow improve on his on his first round Cause in the first round against Memphis on offense he was unreal. He shot the ball so well, and if they if they're going to win, they need that. I yeah. am going to go Houston and six
0: on this one. Okay. Yeah. Houston in six. Houston in six. Uh, it's gonna be an entertaining it's gonna be the most entertaining series, I think, of the second round. It should. And I yeah. it, it should be. It should be. Um two clashing styles there. You know, that run and gun, Mike right. Dan Antonio. Uh, Dan Antonio <laughs> Dan Antonio Jin Sanson, <laughs> Jean Francois. Yeah, Mike uh D'Antoni. Mike D'Antoni. <laughs> Mike D'Antoni's running gun offense there in Houston. They get up and down the floor, they shoot the lights out, and then you've got the defensive style, the defensive-minded San Antonio Spurs along with Kawhi Leonard and, and the rest of the old guys there. Uh, uh, it's going to be an interesting series for sure. Can't wait. And so moving on here to the east in the NBA, we're going to have Cleveland-Toronto. Toronto had their hands full there with – Milwaukee, they almost they almost lost that series. I mean, they 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 end up they almost lose the last game there. They had a 25 point lead. Milwaukee comes back, um, almost takes the game from them. I, I mean, you got, you're going to have LeBron and the Cavaliers who basically had a tune up series there in Indiana. They didn't look great throughout the whole series, but they take care of the Pacers. Now they've got the Raptors, who a lot of people before the playoffs started, Cole really really kind of we're taking Toronto as a dark horse in these playoffs. What's that? The playoffs. Uh, Playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. You kidding me? Playoffs? I just hope we can win a game. Yeah. Off the charts uh, right now. Off the charts right now. uh, Toronto, you know, was a a dark horse for a lot of teams, but they're not, they're no longer anymore, especially for me. And now they're going to run into Cleveland. Cole, is LeBron, Love, Kyrie, and the rest of the Cavaliers, are they going to make quick work at Toronto at this point? Or do you think Toronto produces any problems for the Cavaliers?
1: I would be surprised if it went to six. I'm going to call it in five. Lowry and DeRozan. I can't remember a game that they both played really well in in the playoffs. Yeah, One it's of one them the had a terrible it? game yeah mm-hmm. it just and it seems to always be lowry, especially last season, like last season, if you remember he had a terrible game, and he's just in the gym for like hours afterwards, just by himself, and he comes back and still has bad games like it's I don't know what it is, but these guys in the playoffs they probably should have lost uh the other night when the bucks made a thirty seven to thirty four to seven run in the fourth quarter of, of game six yeah. and they they Raptors did uh with free throws, they won it by three, but they, they blew a twenty-five point lead. So, I, and I know that Cleveland likes to keep it close. That was probably, I think, that was the closest sweep uh, in maybe NBA history, uh, Cleveland over Indiana. But they let Indiana come back a lot, but they still, I was, I mean, LeBron just was LeBron, and he just didn't let him lose. And I don't see that toronto has has more than what Paul George could give him right i'm gonna go i'm gonna go Cleveland in five on that one
0: yeah, it's hard for me to to argue that. that that I can't see Toronto doing anything um all right, one that's a little heavy on the heart for me. Boston ends up taking care of the bulls here they they sweep the bulls in the last ten days of the series they win the series four to two. Um, you know, the Bulls are up 2 nothing. They're looking like they're going to coast through the series. Isaiah Thomas loses his sister. There's, you know, the momentum's with Chicago. And then all of a sudden, Rajon Rondo uh, has a broken thumb. And he has a, a wrist injury. He's in a cast. He can't play. From that point on, the Bulls lost their... Their their point guard. I mean, and and it, as crazy as the year was for Chicago, and as bad as Rondo was throughout the year, the fact of the matter was is when the playoffs started, he turned on he he he, he channeled his Rondo from the Boston days and looked as, like the same player. And when they lost Rondo, they lost the on co- the the their court general, they lost a the guy that could control the pace, and it was downhill from there. So. Now we've got this Boston team with Isaiah Thomas overcoming the fact that he lost his sister. They overcome the two to nothing deficit. Now they're going to get Washington. However, I kind of think that this is going to be a little bit of a matchup problem for Boston because Washington's one of them sneaky teams that a lot of people liked in the playoffs as well. You've, of course, you've got Beale, you've got Wall. You've got Morris and you've got Porter and Gortat there in the starting lineup. Cole, are they going to give Boston more problems here? Or or do you think the number one seed here in Boston is going to just keep plugging away after the fact that they've won four in a row against Chicago?
1: I want to go Washington and seven. And it would be a lot easier for me just to look at the matchup that, where they have Bradley is Bradley going to be covering wall or is he going to be covering Beal? at the start. Uh I think that the key is whoever Bradley is not guarding has to just create a lot of damage for, for the uh Wizard's offense because these guys don't like each other. I don't know if you remember uh John Wall poked Jay Crowder right in the nose. They got <laughs> they got kind of face to face. And John Wall like, poked him <laughs> in the nose. I thought that was pretty funny. Uh but yeah these guys are So I, I think this should be the second best series just because of the divisional rivalry that they have and them not liking each other. And Morris uh, likes to talk his shit. So I think this would just be a really good series. I'm going to go with Washington in seven. They beat Atlanta finally on the road in game six. So they can win on the road in the playoffs. Yeah. They're going to have to here because uh, Boston has the. Is the one team so they obviously have home court. I John Wall is way too big for Isaiah Thomas. If I'm assuming that they'll definitely play John Wall on Isaiah, that's just he's too big. You saw Isaiah against the Bulls; he would go in the lane and he'd get his ship swatted because he's just it's different in the regular season. The, this Boston team kind of reminds me of your Bulls teams with Thibodeau. where. Yeah they they try super hard during the regular season and then they get to the playoffs and there's not really much of an extra gear. This is just like who they are. And
0: yeah, yeah. With a lot
1: of, a lot of championship teams, you see that they can kick it up a notch. They can, there's another, there's a few other gears that they can, that they can get to. And with this Boston team, it just seems like this is who they are, which is not a terrible spot. You're a one seed and you're probably going to get a top three pick. I'm not complaining about that. If I was a Boston fan, uh but for this series, I just I think that John Wall has proven that he can kick it up a notch in the playoffs and I think he's gonna to be too much for the Celtics.
0: Yeah, looking forward to those series getting underway here soon in the NBA playoffs. Uh moving on before we get into everybody's favorite segment here later in the show, wanted to touch on the fact that Nike, Under Armour, and Adidas are all not interested in endorsing Lonzo Ball from UCLA. After they met with his insane father, Lavar Ball, in meetings with all three companies, LeVar told them that they should license his upstart Big Baller brand from him. And according to the companies, he showed each company a shoe prototype that he had made that he hoped they would take on to be Lonzo's first shoe. Are we <laughs> Oh, wow. This guy is on another planet, man. Uh, he, here's his quote. We've said from the beginning we aren't looking for an endorsement deal. We're looking for co-branding, a true partner. But they're not ready for that because they're not used to that model. But, hey, the taxi industry wasn't ready for Uber either. This guy, okay, you've got guys like Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, the list goes on, where they – didn't sit down, Michael Jordan didn't sit down with Nike and say, hey, this is the shoe I want, this is what I want, I want this tire on the side, I want this red stripe here, I want this here, this is what my shoe is going to look like, and you're going to put your name on it, and then you're going to produce it, and you're going to sell it, and we're going to make money. That ain't how it works, dude. You don't sit down and tell Nike how they're going to make their shoe. They've been making shoes for a long time, and they know how to do it. Uh, And then he does the same thing with Under Armour and the same thing with Adidas. And they say, uh, no, thanks. See you later. So again, this idiot is screwing up Lonzo Ball's career. He, he threw away. Cole, what do you think this guy's, he would have made a hundred million dollars, 90 million, Uh, 80 million. I don't know.
1: It's double digit millions a year, depending on what they, what they were going to offer him. But, It's definitely seven to ten million a year for a shoe deal from any of these guys, and like I get, I'm all I'm all on board for him promoting his stuff. But when you mess with your kid's money like that, that's just weird to me. Like, why would you like?
0: Yeah, that's just so.
1: Not yeah, he's out of his mind.
0: And 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 now what are they going to do? Are they going to end up with one of them Chinese companies because that's where they're going to end up? Or, or is uh, Lonzo Ball going to be out on the court rocking some Skechers? Is he going to be out there? Is he going to be out there rocking some Skechers? You know, the big ball of Skechers. I mean, what wh- where are we going to see? A starter maybe? May or, or you know what? Maybe. Cole. Champion. Okay, champion. That's a good one. Maybe <laughs> maybe. Uh, Lonzo Ball is out there in some Shaqs, because Shaq doesn't have. There's another rim shot. Shaq doesn't have, you know, a real endorsement with any anybody else. Could you, you know, so we could see the start of something. Wasn't it Reebok? He did in the beginning, but now I'm saying he's got his own brand, you know, that Shaq shoe brand. So maybe Shaq. Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they, they, they they they. do they still make them? I'm pretty sure they do. I hope not. Well, you can find them at your local Kmart, I'm pretty sure.
1: So Yeah, that's
3: probably
0: true. <laughs> um yeah. So, I don't know, wanted to touch on that. Crazy. This guy I'm, is just insane.
1: insane. I'm assuming they look like the like the starter shoe for your 2K My Player mode where you it's just a 2K shoe where there's nothing on it. Exactly. Just, here's a shower shoe. <laughs>
0: yeah. So, moving on from that, and we're going to step in to the Coach's Corner here on the Coach and Cole Show, Blog Talk Radio. And we're going to step in to the Coach's Corner because I want to talk about Saskatchewan Rough Rider head coach Chris Jones. He's been fined by the CFL for having conversations with Johnny Manziel's publicist okay, the CFL fined him $31,500 for two bylaw violations, and he, excuse me, he they find the team, the Rough Riders, $31,500, and then they they find head coach, and he's the head coach GM, Chris Jones, $5,000 for meeting with the publicist, we're not talking NFL money here, if you can't tell, uh, <laughs> $5,000 for meeting with the publicist, so and the reason they got in trouble here, Cole, was the fact that the Hamilton Tiger cats hold exclusive CFL rights to Manziel because he's on the team's negotiation list um saskatchewan, if he remembers remembers if he remembers if if you remember uh the fact Ricky that Jim Jin Johnson <laughs> fact law. that <laughs> the fact that uh Vince young is on the Saskatchewan Roughriders negotiation list. Um, and, and, in fact, they signed him. So he's going a to play with So Yeah, could be a little competition there. So they got fined. And here's what I want to say to Chris Jones in the coach's corner. What in the world are you thinking, dude? You put your neck out on the line and got fined, your team fined, and you fined because you want to bring in Johnny Menzel? I mean, this, this guy can't even, can't even wake up and live his own life right now. He, he's a mess. I mean, there's no way that if I'm a coach or a GM that I want to bring in Johnny Manziel. Now, I can see this is different if the owner says, hey, we want Johnny Manziel. We want to sell some tickets, some T-shirts, some jerseys. Go talk to him. We'll pay the fine. Now, I don't know if that's the case in this one. But the fact that you're going to bring in Manziel um. to to your locker room, I think that's probably a big, big mistake. And I think this little slap on the wrist fine they got is going to be a cakewalk compared to what they would have dealt with had they brought in Johnny Manziel to that football team, because you're going to bring in a guy who's already got money to a team with other young guys who don't have the kind of money that this guy has. And when he says you want to go out and party with Justin Bieber, uh, they're going to go. I would. And you're going to have a problem. Yeah.
1: I'm going to go part so, of
0: the fever. Oh, yeah, I would, too. But I'm just saying, uh, you know, would have been an issue. So, Chris Jones, tis, tis, man. Tis, tis, Chris Jones. You're in the Coach's Corner this week on Coach and Cole Show. So, now, Cole, it's time for everybody's favorite segment. And that's questions for Cole.
4: Questions, questions. for Cole. Asking all oh, questions, while you're asking line. all these questions, questions, making statements. Asking all the questions, asking all questions, while you're asking all the questions, uh, all the questions yeah. making statements. Uh,
0: all right, Cole. Questions for Cole, April 29th, 2017 Coach & Cole Show, Blog Talk Radio. Five questions for you today. Question number one. If you had to choose between going over the middle for a pass and being crunched by an NFL linebacker or getting checked into the boards at full speed by an NHL defenseman, what would you choose?
1: Oh, uh, for sure the NHL thing. Uh, Because NHL players can play injured, so obviously it's not a tougher sport.
0: (laughs) Okay. So, you know... When I thought about that question, I think I would probably agree with you, because you're like you're gonna have, if you're getting checked into the boards in hockey, you're not going at equal speed to the other guy, because if you've mm-hmm. got two guys that are running full speed at each other, like when they go over the middle and the linebacker just decapitates them, you're you're gonna have like more G-force there when you get hit. Right. So if you're gangster for force, if, yeah. little gangster force so if you're like getting checked into the boards from full speed and i don't care if it's zidane ochara six 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 seven whatever the heck he is whatever if it's it doesn't matter because you're you're going to be able to brace for that and and use the boards as some cushion i i feel like you know so i think i'd go with you on that number two after the round one loss is russell westbrook still your mvp yeah, it's a regular season thing.
1: I don't give a shit about what happened in the playoffs. Okay. Doesn't matter he had a you. terrible team.
0: Terrible team, terrible city, terrible everything. All right. Probably, maybe, I don't know. I don't know. I've never been to Oklahoma City. I hear it's great. I take it back. <laughs> 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 um, okay, so number three. Which team had the better dynasty, the 1990s hmm. Chicago Bulls or the 1990s Dallas Cowboys?
1: I'd have to look at, hmm, I'm going to go with the, the Bulls because Okay. just based off of what I know about Troy Aikman, um, like he had terrible stats. And I have no – I have, that's the only thing I'm basing it on. So, I don't know – I haven't looked up anything on any of this stuff. But I just right. know that he has terrible stats. Like, he he went to the Pro Bowls and threw more interceptions and touchdowns in those seasons in some of the years that he went to the Pro
0: Bowl. So, I just feel like the, uh, the Bulls dominated more. I mean, well, the Cowboys had a great run there in the early 90s. There's no doubt about it. Smith and Irvin and Deion Sanders and Nate Newton and Leon Lett and all these guys, and then of course Aikman, like you said. But yeah, I think I would agree as far as that goes because, you know, they 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 didn't do it in dominating fashion like the Bulls did. So I would agree with that. All right, number four. Bathroom mirror selfie or over the head downward selfie. Like
1: for me personally. um, or, sure. What would I rather look at?
0: Yeah. What would you rather look at the bathroom mirror selfie or the over the head downward selfie?
1: Well, I'm a butt guy, so I could see the butt in a <laughs> mirror selfie. So I'm going to okay. go with the mirror selfie.
0: All right. Little mirror Take selfie. that for data. All right. Number five. And the final question for Cole today, April 28th, 2017, Excuse me, April 29th. Jeez. Coach and Cole show. Mm. If spinach, if spinach didn't exist, which food should Popeye the Sailor Man have ate to gain his superhuman strength? (sighs) This
1: is, I don't know, man like chicken yeah for all that protein
0: chicken all right chicken i <laughs> but, like it
1: actually you know what i'm changing my answer okay
0: <laughs>
1: shut up chris uh to uh spam because spam could come in a can
0: there you go oh wow that's a great answer great Thank answer you. great Frickin' answer. Spam. Spam in the can for Popeye the Sailor Man. There There we go. (laughs) Like it. I like it. Well, hey, that's questions for Cole. And we're coming down on the clock. We've got three minutes remaining here, Cole. And I think it was a great show. We had Gary Davenport for BleacherReport.com to talk NFL draft. We talked about Eli Manning being a liar. We talked about the ESPN layoff, the whole situation with that. Um, good NBA playoff talk to end the show there. And then we had Dan Buffa of SB Nation to talk NHL playoffs. What more could you want in a sports talk podcast? Tell me.
1: A lot. I think, we, I think today sucked.
0: <laughs> suck? I, don't know. I don't know. I mean, I really thought it was a good show. I don't
1: know I had a good
0: time Yeah, it was a great time
1: If if you have me
0: I think we'll have you back, Cole I mean, hey, you are in the title of the show So I I think we'd be willing to have you back I I would assume, I mean, hey You never know Didn't think the suits would have me back Bennett Brower here (laughs) I mean, hey You never know when they're going to can you Just ask the guys from ESPN wow yeah that was yeah too soon <laughs> too soon I just wanted another rim shot I'll be honest yeah I just wanted another rim shot there um <laughs> you were
1: hitting all the uh
0: all the sound bites today the second half oh, of the yeah. show was just piling on sound bite heavy today on the Coach and Cole show
3: can't
0: um, wait well we can't wait it's over our show's over uh <laughs> Well, they can't wait for next week because I can't wait for next week. Well, we'll be here again on the Coach and Cole Show on Blog Talk Radio. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at Coach037. That's where I'm at. Cole is at ThatKingCole715. You can follow the show at Simply Coach and Cole. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash Coach and Cole. You can find our show there, all those places I just said. And, of course, you can find the show on forwardmile.com slash Coach and Cole. Support the show there by clicking that FanDuel link. We really appreciate everyone joining us again today. And have a great weekend. Cole, what you got any weekend plans or just hanging out? We'll
1: go to the gym later.
0: Going to the gym to get your swell on. There's no basketball today. You're really gonna no bump. basketball. No no basketball. Uh NFL Draft finishes up. This is where it's the whole show. They're franchise-turning picks. Hey, we'll see. Rounds four through seven in the NFL Draft. If you didn't catch the whole show today, go back and listen to it. Subscribe on iTunes. Subscribe on TuneIn. Listen to it a million times. Have a good one. This has been the Coach and Cole Show. I'm the coach.
1: And I am Tits McGee.